Uh, welcome to our podcast on the common issues encountered in purchasing landed estates. I'm Adam Corbyn. I'm a partner with the agriculture team here at Mitchellmores. I act for a broad range of institutional and private clients, mainly on contentious matters. I'm joined today by three other partners at Mitchellmores. First of all, Chris Massey. Chris specialises in handling sensitive and complex substantial landed estate, agricultural, country, country house and high value residential transactions. Chris, what's your favourite thing about your job? I love getting stuck in. Hello, Adam. Hello, everyone. I love getting stuck in, getting my wellies on uh, and heading off to an estate where I don't quite know what to expect. So every estate has its own peculiarities, its own challenges, its own quirky individuals. Uh, I'm used to driving up the wrong drives, being chased by people on quad bikes, uh, pretending to be footpath inspectors. Uh, and I, I have a pretty decent strike rate with Gurkhas jumping out of bushes and uh, demanding to see my papers. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's a lot of fun. Every day is different. Uh, and above all, it's a pleasure dealing with nice clients, nice intermediaries, and generally a decent bunch to try to come up with a positive result for you all. Great, thank you. Uh, we're also joined by Jennifer Ridgway. Jennifer acts for individuals and their families in all aspects of structuring their private wealth, including advising upon succession issues and tax planning. What's your favourite thing about your job? As a private client lawyer, there is a steady stream of very good dinner party stories, all anonymised, of course. But um, the thing about being a private client lawyer is absolutely no day is the same. And you're dealing with human life in all its you know, fun and intricacies and detail. So, um, yeah, lots of stories, but probably none for this podcast. Thank you. We're also joined by Ben Sharples. Ben advises upon a broad range of contentious agricultural matters, including landlord and tenant disputes over agricultural and residential property, partnership disputes, real property disputes and professional negligence connected with these matters. Uh, ben, you like going out for dinner. Have you got any good dinner stories to tell us? I've got plenty, but none I can repeat here. I think continuing the rich tapestry theme of every day is different. Um, that's certainly the aspect of this job that I love the most. And I think at the moment, in particular, the way the sector is changing so rapidly is a huge challenge for us all um, and just makes it really exciting and interesting. So, yeah, more of the same, please. Great. So today we're going to cover taxation and succession. Jennifer, in your experience, is this the first thing that the clients think about when they go to purchase a landed estate? Unfortunately, it's not the first thing. Um, not so much taxation, because the taxation kind of flows from whatever structuring you're using to purchase the estate or you're purchasing the estate from. But I would say structuring and succession, that would be a really good place to start on any purchase. But actually, it's not always where clients start. And that's something that you know, through through working with good advisors, you can hopefully change. I mean, it it's really helpful when we're working with clients if we can get involved in terms of thinking through what kind of a structure is this estate sitting in now and what kind of structure do I want to put in place on my purchase of the estate for the future. If we can have those conversations early, it is better for everyone, not only at the point of purchase, but also much further down the line. So I tend to start with clients by kind of slightly frustratingly for them, um, asking a bunch of questions, because once you've 
understood kind of wh where the client's coming from and what they're planning, that's the way then to think about, look, should we be thinking about structuring? What might the tax implications be? And what might this look like in the future going forward? So I typically would ask clients things like, what are you planning to do with this estate? Are you planning to run this as a business? And if it's going to be a business, what kind of business are we talking? Are we talking like a trading business, some kind of in-farm, in-house or in-hand kind of agricultural or farming elements and other commercial elements, the commercial parts to this business? Or is it more, you more got an idea that you're going to be um, letting agricultural land to tenants rather than taking the farming and, and, and any of the business aspects in hand yourself. And kind of flowing out of that, what sort of income expectations does the purchaser have from the estate? Is it about income? Is it about running a business? Or is it just about purchasing something really lovely because it's such a special place and it's it's a really wonderful place to, to be or have a family? Um, and also kind of Along those lines, we, we often start to say to clients, even if they're nowhere near it now, have you done any thinking about succession? Is that something that might be important to you? Is that something you want to consider now? And kind of there are a number of ways, and everyone on this podcast knows this, there's a number of ways that you might think about purchasing a structure, a, a structuring a purchase rather for a landed estate, and which one might be right. Um, will depend completely on the answers to those sorts of questions. And I don't know, you know, it's, it, it, whether or not that's, those are the questions that everyone asks, I don't know. But certainly when you're when, when a client's saying, oh, I want to buy an answered estate, um, I might buy it individually in my own name, perhaps a partnership or um, a limited partnership or a company or a trust. They all have different taxation consequences flowing out of those but they're all going to be right in different circumstances for different clients so that's that's where we start really by by trying to get to the bottom of what does the client want out of this really you know great and exciting purchase I don't know Chris if clients don't always come fully formed with those views do they about what they might want in the future but I think it's helpful to ask I, oh, I, most oh, definitely I mean I think I, I think one of the sort of slightly um intriguing things often by um, a, a purchase of a landed estate is that very often people haven't done it before. So they will find their way to a landed estate normally through potentially a buying agent. Um, and they don't know what it is that they need to be thinking about and what needs to be asked. So the really key point, I think, which um, Jennifer, you were talking about before was it's it's that sort of team assembly. It's it's I, finding the people who can help you to identify the things that you need to think about. I mean, speaking selfishly myself, I I'd say the more warning we have of the potential that you might be looking to purchase something, the more sensible uh, we can be in providing you with advice, and the better prepared you can be when you come to the table to to submit an offer. So we we just ask to be involved. Your buying agent, one would hope, would be in contact with us. And there's lots to be thinking about and lots to be getting on with. But that's what we're here to help with. And the yeah. way we approach, you know, the, the advice that needs to be given depends a lot on the motives for buying an estate. And those can be many and varied and are getting more numerous as, as the days go by. And, and we're already seeing and hearing of, of the market changing 
because people are buying land with a view to planting trees, to looking at natural capital opportunities, payments for environmental services. And that's changing, you know, the way that land is valued. Traditionally, unproductive land is perhaps becoming more valuable, but it also puts a different slant on things from a taxation perspective and from a conveyancing perspective. And getting that sort of information up front, that information about motives and why it's being purchased is, I think, also important. And I think what kind of looking further down the line when we're working with estate owners, some of the most successful approach it, you know, rightly, like like running a sort of diversified business, because that is often the the, the way that things end up panning out on a on a on a successful landed estate. And I think, you know, you approach and you know this is completely normal, but we might approach buying a house in quite a different way that we would approach buying a diversified business. And actually remembering that you might end up with the latter. Is quite a helpful thought to have at the back of your head, I find, when talking to families about their new purchase and, and, and the purchase of a landed estate. Chris, are there any uh, particularly popular vehicles or, um, you know, when people come to you and want to buy an estate, do they do they often say that they want to buy through a company or uh, something in particular? Well, there's, I, I mean, there is a a rich stream of people use the S word, the straightforward word, which is always a slight worry when that gets introduced in an initial conversation. But the the S word would normally be uh, slipped into a conversation about um, some form of SPV, where somebody is looking to perhaps structure a purchase where they will purchase a company that owns an estate, um, which can be phenomenally attractive to. Uh, a purchaser because you're paying stamp duty on shares rather than stamp duty land tax at rather more hefty rates on land. Um, it presents its own challenges to a vendor because vendors obviously are going to need to make sure that titles are actually registered in the names of a uh, of a company and uh, if there's retained land, all the necessary rights and reservations are in place uh, ahead of ahead of time. It does mean there's a certain leap of faith because people are uh, ultimately going to find themselves with land held in a new corporate structure, which potentially might not shift um, and could remain in your ownership uh, later on. Um, Jennifer, is there anything you want to add to that? Um, I just I, I agree with you. That's you know we often see that, but I think the main thing is that whatever the plan is and the proposals are for a purchase, it the importance I guess of working as you said at the beginning with a team so you know we we find quite a lot of people may have an idea of buying as you say through an SPV but it's really helpful either you know from from lawyers or accountants to get some tax advice on that early on to understand what the tax consequences of that might be further down the line because there can be some taxes which kind of sneak in and make that maybe a less attractive option especially if you want a lot of income to come out of that structure. Um, and equally, we find some people who are quite keen on the idea of a, a, a foreign structure for a purchase. And generally, that's not going to be a good idea um, uh, for a number of reasons. But but sometimes, you know, they, they may have heard that that's a good idea. And actually, the detail, the devil's in the detail, as they say. Probably should flag while we're on the tax front that the the potential deal buster very often is VAT 
uh, and I recall, and I rather hope they're not listening at the moment that I was involved um, on a, a sale where it took a little while for our, our vendor clients to come back with all of the information that we've requested at the outset. And unfortunately, one of the, the things that flowed through this late information was that they'd elected to waive their VAT exemption, um, which led to horrendous difficulties for purchasers because it could not be undone. So it's a bit of a shocker. That's right. And actually, you know, of all the questions that I listed about sort of what are your intentions around what the future of this estate look like? Um, another key question is looking back at the seller and it's essentially is this land opted for that because that may well impact on the, the structuring and process of the purchase. What about um, structuring disasters? Have uh, any of you come across anything that's uh, in hindsight turned out not to be a good idea? No doubt we weren't advising at the time. <laughs> um, I think there are, there are many disasters that I have seen, but they it tends not to be through anyone's fault. It tends to be when actually lots of things have happened without an eye to the future. So when people have gone through um, a series of purchases, often is when the problems come in. So bought one, you know, block of land at a lovely house and then added on over time different things and taken steps at each point just to deal with the issue in front of them, like, you know, I'd rather be more tax efficient on this particular bit of the purchase or whatever. Um, and, and dealing with it that way, kind of piecemeal, without really thinking about the future, can then lead to the sorts of problems that we often see, which is often further down the line, not at point of purchase, where effectively what everyone wants to achieve and what is happening on the ground in terms of something like, you know, who's actually running what business, who is actually receiving what income, um, that's not reflected in these kind of, you know, the structures or decisions that have been made along the way. So that's where issues tend to, you know, come to light. The other area where we see issues, and this isn't just in land and estates, this is across all of our work, but the other place where we see issues is the fact that you've, you've often got a family involved. Um, and so in that way, you have the usual issues often that any family will have. And they it, even in the happiest of families you can often have as we all know issues um around family dynamics generally so especially i would say issues around expectations that children have as they're growing up as to the sorts of involvement they might have in the future in what is essentially you know maybe viewed as the family business the land of estates the level of income or benefit they might expect to receive from the estate and also what the situation will be perhaps with people marrying into the family and, and what their expectations might be. And, and we, we spend a lot of our time having not especially legal conversations, but conversations with families working through those kinds of issues. Um, and it's not necessarily something that has to be dealt with at purchase, but definitely a family that is running a landed estate like as a busy business. Um, really good things to think about are addressing those sorts of succession issues early and talking through them and even some families put things in place like a family constitution which could be a really helpful tool Ben I don't know if you come across that much yeah I think it, it's I mean one doesn't want to predict a falling out and a family row but I think you always have to have that in the back of your mind unfortunately these things do happen and, and we all as advisors 
and many people listening to this will have dealt with family disputes. And, you know, we talked about structures, but one of the things that you often see, you know, and certainly you used to see in years gone past was the granting of tenancies to devalue land for taxation purposes. And at the time, that might seem like a tick box exercise. Well, it's only Uncle Percy letting to cousin Robbie. Uh, that'll be fine, won't it? But it is actually a formal legal agreement. It, it can only end in a certain number of ways and it will endure unless the parties agree that it shall end. And it can have a significant effect on value. It can have a significant effect on rights, cross rights, easements and affecting value of neighbouring land and so on. And I think, again, you've just got to have the conversations early on and you know judge expectations and also plan on the basis that sometimes things do go wrong and structures need to be clear and clearly agreed. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. We've seen just that sort of thing happen um, and we've seen very historic arrangements. That's kind of what I mean by these little step by step things that end up coming back to bite um, and those sorts of arrangements being made that don't reflect, as I say, really what people's expectations are and really what people intend to happen in the future on the ground. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you ever have any inquiries which you think that Mitch and Moz could help you with, please contact me on adam.corbin at mitchellmoz.com. Join us for our next conversation, which will be released next week, uh, covering tenancy issues. See you then.